This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, here we are. Thursday afternoon edition, shortly the sound and the fury as per usual. Some things do remain the same uh, as we progress through this scourge of the coronavirus. And uh, since it's had such an economic impact, needless to say, there are a lot of folks who were in a precarious position to begin with. Uh, That is now being amplified or compounded to wit. We had the government step up with uh, programs to address that in part, uh, in some measure, whether large or small, I'm not entirely clear. But uh, Pam Frake is the coordinator of Fight for 15 and Fairness, Fight for $15, that is, as a minimum wage. She's with the Workers Action Center and has joined us here on the Oakley Show at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Pam, good to have you on board. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, when we talk about precarious work, and I'm guessing that's uh, central to your whole campaign, uh, how precarious is some of this precarious work? Are there ways by way of example that you can highlight it? Oh, absolutely. Already, the minimum wage is below the poverty line. And so what we're seeing all across the province and indeed across the country as a result of COVID-19 is that workers are losing jobs, are losing shifts um, uh, through no fault of their own and not knowing how they're going to make ends meet. And what's even worse is that with the COVID-19 epidemic, People are telling people to just stay home, do the right thing, stay home when you're sick. But workers on minimum wage in precarious work, low-wage workers, simply can't afford to lose a day's pay to stay home. And as a result, have no other choice than to go to work sick. And this is a public health disaster, not just for the, the employees, for those workers, but for all of us. Can you put a face on it? I mean, uh, in the sense of, you know, who is it? Is it? The person who's waiting tables? Is it uh, somebody in the gig economy who's delivering food? Is it uh, a cab driver? I I don't know. I mean, uh, can you just by way of a few examples? Yes. Personalize it. Totally. It's all of those people. It's extraordinary. When you think about who are the essential service providers now, it's the people who are keeping our grocery stores stocked who don't have paid sick days. It's the people who clean clean our office buildings who don't have paid sick days. It's the people who are, uh, you know, who are uh, delivering our food and preparing our foods in restaurants. It's the people who are picking our foods. It's the farm workers. There's all kinds of people who are keeping our whole economy moving at this time, and yet they have no protections at work. Well, but the government addressed that yesterday, did they not? I mean, uh, they stepped up with the Emergency Care Benefit Act, uh, providing income and job security. Even if you don't qualify for EI, they're talking about $900 every two weeks for 15 weeks. Uh, How did you feel about what was being put on offer yesterday by the federal government? Well, certainly, if you when upon looking at it, you would think that the, the measures are welcome, and, and of course, something more than nothing is welcome. But I think it really, we really have to look at the details about what's happening here. First of all, let's just go back to the notion they're waiving the one-week waiting period. Let's be clear: they're only waiving the one-week waiting period for people who are imposed quarantine. That's not for any other sickness benefits, and it's not for any other EI benefits. We know workers in precarious employment can can ill afford to lose a day's pay, never mind a week's pay. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that most EI benefits 
provide only 55% of income. If you're living on minimum wage, 55% of minimum wage is simply not possible. Therefore, workers aren't able to avail those programs when they exist. And it's not clear how the EI emergency care benefit is going to work. If they implement it the way EI is, with to have it, because their language is very clear, it's up to $900 every two weeks. If it's anything less than their straight income, then people are not going to be able to afford to avail themselves of it. And this will mean that workers are still forced to go to work sick. They'll still be forced to leave their their kids in the care of grandparents because they have no choice uh, other than to go go into work. And, you know, if I could just go on one more second, there's another problem. It's, it's the people who are being forced into work when they're not well or when they have other responsibilities, but it's also the people who are being forced out of work. So those people who are not necessarily uh, out of work because of illness, uh, they're just out of work because there's been school closures have been ordered and there's been no supports whatsoever for workers to cope with those situations. And again, their fallback, if they are lucky enough to qualify for EI, is 55% of income. And and 80% of gig workers, part-time workers, precarious workers don't actually access EI. That's why we've been very consistent to call on all levels of, of government to have paid emergency leave. Seven as a standard permanent measure for everyone and 14 additional days during an epidemic. If we had had this in place provincially and federally, there would not have been the economic shock that came along with the school closures. There would have, because what's happened is that a health crisis has now been turned into an economic crisis. Having three weeks of paid emergency leave would have allowed those people who need to stay home to do so, and it would have allowed uh, people who are sick to be able to stay home and get well and therefore exercise self-isolation on a much faster basis. And importantly, it would have allowed the federal government to have three weeks of a stable economy so that they could roll out a comprehensive plan coordinated with provincial governments, municipal governments, and federal governments. Instead, we've seen the provinces abdicate their responsibilities by providing needed uh, help for people. And the fact that no government has stepped up to provide 21 paid emergency leave days is frankly a disgrace. Uh, as I say, we need at least seven pay days at the best of times, and certainly in the middle of a pandemic, we need at least another 14. That would have made a heck of a lot more sense than the mess we're in right now. So I'd say all levels of government are failing us. Again, with Pam Frake, coordinator of Fight for 15 and Fairness, $15 is a minimum wage. Uh, she's with the Workers' Action Center on precarious workers uh, who may not have been uh, given enough of a lifeline from the government yesterday announcing the emergency care benefit, which, to your point, I think they can only get the checks out on a best-case scenario by April 6th. Uh, and then, yes. the, yeah, the That's second one huge. come out mid-May. Exactly. That's huge. In fact, you won't even be able to apply for the emergency care benefit until April. And Lord only knows how long it's going to take to turn the checks around. And that's another function of chronic understaffing of employment insurance administration. Right now, the Workers' Action Center, we're inundated with calls of workers who are trying to get through on the EI helpline, and they can't because it's just busy, 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 busy. So these are like ongoing problems that should have been solved before. And now that we're in this crisis, we need much 
greater, much more dramatic, and much more urgent measures to make sure that workers have the financial resources to follow health advice and to protect their families and to actually, frankly, keep businesses going. Because honestly, you can have all the short-term loans and cheap interest rates you want, but if workers can't buy the goods and services being sold by small and medium and, and, and other businesses, then that's not going to help the economy at all. That's what the kind of measure we need, and we need governments of all levels to step up here. They say they've got our back and they're going to spare no expense. Well, let's put some money where their mouths are. It's time. Well, you know, and you mentioned the uh, employers as well. I mean, they're on the ropes too, needless to say, some of these barkeeps and restaurants and, uh, you know, the nail salons, what have you. Uh, uh, The government promised yesterday a 10% top-up of uh, an employee's wages in that regard and a maximum of $25,000 to the employer. I'm not sure that that's adequate either. Uh, Many critics have said that ain't enough. That's not going to get it done. You talked about a paid emergency leave uh, of three weeks, 21 days. Uh, How would you calibrate that, by the way? Well, I think, you know, what, what could have been happening is that the, 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 the arrangements that workers would have had for payment through their existing employer would have continued. And then the liquidity provided by the government would actually be sustaining workers and the economy. All right. So even if the restaurant shuts down, just so I understand how you see this, this working, then if the restaurant shuts down and the wait staff is let go uh, or temporarily laid off, uh, you're saying that the restaurant sort of still pays them and then they get money the emergency money, the relief money from the government later. Exactly. And actually, and then when people are look permanently laid off or long-term laid off or short-term laid off, that we have a much more fulsome employment insurance program that is available. So we need the hours to be reduced. There's a whole series of reasons why, why at any given day, about 60% of unemployed workers can't receive EI when they need it. It's worse for gig and part-time workers. And so we need a dramatic improvement in employment insurance so that more workers are able to access it. Let me ask you, because, I mean, it's uh, come up as a talking point uh, that a guaranteed basic income uh, might have offset a lot of the anxiety. Do you believe that? Well, of course, we support the idea of people having stable income, but one thing that we're cautious about is that we want to make sure that those corporations, and let's be clear, it's the very big, more than 500 employees, profitable corporations that rely on a sub-poverty wage business model. And we want to make sure that we're not inadvertently subsidizing those employers that are deliberately paying their workers poverty poverty wages when there's other employers who are paying, trying to pay their employees well, trying to show that it's possible to make a profit and treat employees decently, why should they have to compete with companies that don't do the right thing and we don't want to inadvertently create a subsidy for employers that are not uh, playing a leading role in protecting their workers? All right. Got to let you go on that note. I appreciate you weighing in. I mean, it's one of those uh, considerations that certainly come into sharp relief here uh, with precarious work and the gig economy in these times where all sectors uh, are really feeling the pain, uh, and so it does filter down. Pam Frake is a coordinator, Fight for 15 and Fairness with the Workers' Action Center. Appreciate your time this afternoon, Pam. Thank you very much for having me. You've got it. In a moment, we'll get to the sound and the fury. Anthony Fury from the Sun Papers, Peter Tabbins. He's the NDP's critic for energy and the climate crisis. We're in a crisis right now. Ain't the climate, but uh, we can certainly pivot to the key talking points surrounding COVID-19. In just a moment, we'll do that here on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 